Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am not the birthday boy. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy, and I am the birthday boy. No, well, uh, no. I mean, you, uh, it, you're. It's your birthday. I mean, that's the. It, it's your birthday. Right. It's my birthday. I can podcast if I want to, or if you don't want to, because the podcast train's got to run regardless. No, I, right. That's true. I well, I I love to, Justin. I love to share this information. I know you do. And entertain people. I know. With the medical mishaps of yore. <laughs> or now. Or now. Or now. Or As the whenever. case may be. No, this, this is a very special episode because, uh, well, one, we are recording on my birthday. Which, which is, I mean, it don't get more special than that. Well, it's the most special day of the year, yeah. I think. We can all agree on that. Uh, but also because of who suggested this topic. Yes. Our friend Vanessa. Yes. Our, our dear friend Vanessa. Uh, sent an email via Lynn to Justin about yes. the some some supposed concerns about cereal. Yes, she had received the email. She didn't have the concerns. No, she but had. A, she got she an received email an email about, about concerns about cereal. Concerns about different additives that can be in cereal. This was forwarded to Justin. Forwarded to me. Like, hey, what do you think, Sydney? And I said, you know what? We have never talked about. Mainly food dyes, preservatives too, but the idea that artificial food dyes have some effect on behavior. And yes. that seems like a big um like a big miss for us. Like why haven't we talked about it yet? That's a that's a big plot hole. Yeah. I don't think it's I mean not I mean we don't have a co- cogent narrative to the Sabins podcast, but I, think, I like to think of it as a narrative. It's the story of bad medicine. Yeah, for not sure. Not bad medicine like the song. No. Uh that would have been a killer killer intro <laughs> if i if i thought about it and had the money to license is that rat i don't i don't know bad medicine i just is know it that rat? That's is it poison i'm not sure okay uh, it's bon jovi that's oh, me i'm me i'm sorry love bon jovi love bon jovi could have gotten john on the phone no problem but i really, really? Like wait can you get john bon jovi on the phone because if you can why are we recording a podcast i can get bon john jovi on the phone <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a good friend of his. What's um, the deal with food dyes? Because you and I have bandied about. I'm going to say this without knowing how all this will shake out. Mm-hmm. We have long bandied about the uh, the thought that red food dye. red food dye makes our daughter Charlie uh, in- hyper encourageable. Yes, like yes. more more active, yes. harder to get to bed. Yes, yes. Um, we have done that, and uh, you've probably heard that for a long time, that there are certain food dyes that if you feed a child, they will become 
um, basically poorly behaved, right? Yes. Like you can't control their behavior at that point. They won't yeah. go to bed. Um, they might like be physically more active. Um, and like to the extent that like my mom believed this. I remember my mom wouldn't let me eat red things. She was firmly convinced that things with artificial, Apples, not not red things, cherries. but <laughs> artificial red food dye, yes. red number 40, right? Like that's the one that gets the most. Mm. I think now that's the one that's associated with the most play. But like the general idea that artificial food dyes are doing something to all of our brains, but mainly child brains to make our behavior different. Um, we, we even fell into this. We briefly avoided red things yes. based on this idea that when Charlie would eat something red, it was harder for us to get her down at night, right? Like yes. a red popsicle or something that had red food dye in it, which could be something purple too, by the way, yes, or blue, or like like lots of things. Yeah, you know, they're not all red. It, it food dyes like the color wheel. Think about it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, now I will admit to you that deep in my heart, I knew this couldn't be right. Because why was I never taught anything about this? Why would no one have ever mentioned it? Even like as a side note, by the way, the like in medical school, these artificial dyes do some on my pediatrics rotation. Why had no one ever said anything like this to me? Why did I know of no evidence? Why would this be true and it be a secret? That's, that's a great question. That's not really <laughs> how things work, especially when it comes to behavior and kids, because it's one of the number one things that parents come and we'll ask you about, I know as a family doctor, about their kid's behavior. And so if I had something easy, like I know that these artificial food dyes are the problem, oof, man, that would be a huge relief, right? Here's mm -hmm. a concrete thing you can do. Um, so it's alluring. It's alluring to think that. Yeah. Like if I just cut these out, my kid will go to bed at night. You are desperate as a parent to any like quick fix, any easy thing that you mm -hmm. could uh, do I th think is extremely appealing. We and we've talked about this, Justin and I, privately a lot before. There are so many times as a parent where you have this moment where you think it can't be this hard. Yes, this can't. This it can't, can't be, be right. this hard. It can't be right. This cannot be how it goes. Uh, now, where did this idea come from? Well, the first concern over an artificial food dye was actually expressed uh, a very long time ago. Um, 1940s, mm -hmm. and it was over a yellow dye called tartrazine. Now, are you familiar with tartrazine? Not at all. Okay. Tartrazine is the dye that is in Mountain Dew. Okay. Is that yellow number five? I'm not sure what number it is. It's okay. yellow. It is a yellow food dye. Um, do you remember the concern about tartrazine in the 1990s when it comes to Mountain Dew? Do you remember anything about a food is dye? It, is it that it would reduce your sperm count? It, okay, not exactly, but close. Yes, the idea that it somehow would shrink testicles or make someone's penis smaller, yeah, I or mean, in some way affect. I mean, if we're talking about legend, genitalia, fertility, if sperm we're talking about count, playground legend, size. all of these could have been true, right? <laughs> like that, all of these different uh, ideas. Well, this was in the 1990s. There was a very intense but brief moment where everyone got really scared about Mountain Dew. Not that scared because I can tell you from here in West Virginia, everybody was still drinking still Mountain Dew. It. Yeah. To this day, Justin, you'll fall for Mountain Dew every time. So, okay, don't make me sound like like some sort of bad, bad person. No, Sometimes I'm just, just saying like people Dew. love Mountain Dew. People love Mountain Dew. I love Dr. Pepper. That's my thing. First time I ever got drunk was on Mountain Dew Code Red and Vodka. 
I have no comment. That was not a good night. <laughs> that went bad for me. Um, what was interesting is that tartrazine did seem to elicit an allergic reaction more commonly than other dyes. And by more commonly, I still mean it's incredibly uncommon. But just on the scale of what is more likely to be an allergen, tartrazine was slightly more likely than the other food dyes. It, it was as noted, again, as far back as the 1940s, that it could trigger hives in patients, especially if you were allergic to aspirin. Mm-hmm. Or that class of medicine, salicylates, salicylic mm-hmm. acid is aspirin, that kind of family. If you're allergic to that, there was a slightly higher chance that you would be allergic to tartrazine mm. as well. Cross-reactivity. Um, and it was even suggested that it worsened asthma symptoms if you ate or drank something with tartrazine in it. Although this was never supported by a lot of evidence. There was concern over this. Um, but this early research was important because it would go on to inspire a Dr. Benjamin Feingold. And I really think, I mean, there are a lot of people who talked about the ideas of food dyes and allergies and food dyes and and behavior and stuff. But a lot of what we think about today and a lot of sort of our, I would say, misconceptions stem from Dr. Feingold's work. Okay. So uh, originally from Pittsburgh, Dr. Feingold studied in Germany, Austria. He studied Northwestern for a while. He finally landed in Los Angeles in 1932, where he worked at several different hospitals. Um, he was interested in some ongoing research at the time on allergies, especially food allergies. That was kind of, even though he had done some work in like pathology and general pediatrics, allergies was where he kind of you know, landed. Mm -hmm. Um, And he started working in that field in 1945. By 1952, he was chief of the Department of Allergies for Kaiser Foundation Hospital and Permanente Medical Group. Um, And he established all of the departments of allergy for Northern California. So this was really his domain, right? Dr. Feingold was- Allergy expert. Yes, the allergy guy. And this is what he would do for his entire career. This research and his work in allergies, especially in pediatric allergies, would become his legacy. This was his whole life and his legacy. He was initially concerned about the abilities of these food dyes, like tartrazine, to trigger an allergic response, which is different than what we're talking about, right? We're right. not The idea that something can be an allergen is in no way controversial. Right. Anything could be an allergen, right? Like, that's the, the thought. Like, well, not anything, but... But if a it, lot of things can be allergic. Okay, for the for the purposes of nomenclature, though, if we're saying that our kid has this adverse reaction to red food dye, aren't we talking about an allergic reaction? Well, for the purposes of an allergic reaction, what we're really does it involve it, histamines? It involve like, well, not not. I mean, yes, but no. An allergic reaction is your body treating a substance that isn't dangerous or an invader or harmful in any way, as if it is. So it's an inappropriate reaction. So it can't just be any adverse reaction. No. It, there's, it's an immune reaction. That's actually a really important distinction because um, there are times where people will have some sort of reaction to a medication. Um, it made them nauseous. And that's not an allergic reaction. But if they list that as an allergy, it may prevent us from using a medicine that's really important for that patient. So it is, it is actually really important. It's something we don't do often enough to distinguish between okay, you had an adverse reaction to this medication, but it wasn't an allergy and something that's a true allergy, which means I I just can't give this to you because your your body thinks it's harmful and it's not, but your body got confused and here we are. Makes sense. Okay. So he thought that the allergic reactions triggered by food dyes, initially he thought, well, they can manifest in a variety of ways that are pretty typical for allergies. So like hives or eczema or asthma. 
these are all closely related to allergic reactions. These are all things that we understand are sort of a family of reactions in the body, the skin, the immune system, that kind of thing. The easiest way to see if these additives were causing problems, so if you have a a child who comes in and they have eczema and you think it's tartrazine, for instance, you tell the parents to avoid it, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's the easiest way to address that problem. No more Mountain Dew for your three-year-old. Just look on the package. If it has this in it, don't let the kid eat it. So Easy. that's a pre- again, it, just eliminate them. Um, he also had some other concerns. So as we mentioned, there was some evidence that tartrazine and salicylates had some cross reactivity. So he began to throw that in there too. Like also, you know, if your kid's allergic to food dyes, they may also be allergic to um, aspirin and other medications in that family. Salicylates. So avoid that too. Okay. Not a huge deal. Salicylates have salicylic acid. Is that right? Yes. In addition, there were a few preservatives that he began to be concerned about. Okay. So there are a few different things in food, um, and I'll go into these, but the the three that Dr. Feingold had concerns about are BHA, which is uh, butyrated hydroxyanisole, BHT, butylated hydroxytoluene, and TBHQ, tertiary butyl hydro- hydroquinone. Okay. Hydroquinone. Got that? Got you it. don't need it. We're just going to call them BHA, BHT, and TBHQ. They're preservatives. What do they do? Well, BHA and BHT are both um, stabilizers and antioxidants. Um, they've been used in food for a very long time. They have been studied extensively, like all preservatives, for toxicity and health impacts. Um, BHA, uh, there was one study where it was found to cause, in very high doses, some tumors in hamsters, but it was never found to be a carcinogen in humans or rats, which I guess hamsters are very not like humans. <laughs> I mean, I hunt, yeah, <laughs> well, for sure. Stu- well, a study in rats. Can you drill down on that for a second? Is it the size, <laughs> the cognitive abilities, the It has hair? something to do with the GI tract. No, it has to do with a like lot of the, things, hun. The it's a hamster. They're very <laughs> the different from foregut. humans. <laughs> it has to do with the way they break down substances. Uh, hamsters are way more different than humans than rats are in that. Ex- in that, I, I mean, you would think, like, if it, well, if it caused tumors in hamsters, it's bad, right? No, if it caused tumors in rats, we're more concerned. If it doesn't cause tumors in rats, we're less concerned Okay. for humans. Okay. This is science. Um. Anyway, BHA, uh, in the amounts that we eat, there's no evidence that there's dangerous. Similarly, with BHT, it's never been shown to do anything bad. Uh, TBHQ is a a phenyl preservative. It's mainly used in things like vegetable oil or animal fats, um, and it's never been shown to harm us. All of these things are similar. You've you've all heard that sort of idea of aspartame. We talked about this. We're like... If you fed rats nothing but massive amounts of aspartame for days and days and days, weeks and weeks, months and months on end, you could maybe harm them. But in the amounts any human is actually ingesting, they're not harmful. Right. Like, it was similar with these substances. We we can't find a way they're hurting people, is the idea. Um, So they are commonly used as food preservatives, is my point. I mean, the problem with it is that it's gross. Like, the pink packet especially. Oh, God. Yes. Sweet and low. I mean, I was trying to, in case they ever want to come on as a sponsor, I was trying to not, like, directly attack them, but yes. Honey, I listen, I don't understand Sweet and Low, but my mom loves it. There's a generation that's wild There's about a generation it. that loves Sweet and Low. Same generation that made Diet Right a thing. I mean, Equal's not great either, but... 
Oh, sweet and low. As oh, lo- God. If they, if I go to like the, the, um, like Sonic or something and I'm getting a sweet tea and I'm like, and I need some, some yellow and they're like, I get to the window and they're like, we only got pink. I'm like, keep your tea. I can't have anything to do with this. Please keep your tea. That's just about me. Well, I, I, I understand. Yeah. I can't eat the pink. Ugh. That's why I grew stevia in the backyard. Yes. Those sweet leaves. The sweet, sweet leaves. <laughs> he okay. So he he advised eliminating all that stuff. He also went ahead and said, you know, as long as we're at it, artificial flavors like artificial vanilla or strawberry, um, artificial sweeteners. Again, what we've just been discussing, aspartame or sucralose or whatever. Um, stevia was actually okay, but all these other artificial sweeteners, bad. So. With all this concern and some information, he started prescribing an elimination diet for patients that presented with allergies or asthma or any of these skin conditions, okay? So you'd bring your kid in and say, my kid has eczema, and he would say, here's what I want you to do. Don't have any food dyes. Don't have any food preservatives. Don't have any artificial flavors. Don't have any artificial sweeteners, and avoid all salicylates. Mm. This was a tall order. Especially yeah. at the time. I mean, we're talking about, like, by the time we're getting into this, it's the 1970s. Oh, so, yeah, we're very deep into messing with food and lots of interesting guys. A, a lot of prepackaged, yeah. you know, food. Like, a lot of food, processed foods. The idea of just eating natural foods is becoming harder and harder. Yes. And this rebounds, right? Like, I feel like we're, we're coming back around. Yeah, I think that's more easier. Of a but, like, it was very much out of fashion. So, anyway, he, he prescribes these really difficult diets and says this will clear up your kids' skin, allergies, whatever. He felt like it was beneficial. He felt like half of these kids were improving. But then he noticed another positive effect. And I'm going to tell you what that was oh. <laughs> right after we go to the billing department. I'm on the edge of my seat over here. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. 
But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Hi, I'm Biz, host of One Bad Mother. Whether you're a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I signed my stepson up for a camp that is actually in another state. I feel really stupid, and I don't think we're going to get the money back. And then he found out that the car manual is a book about cars. So now he's reading our car manual. We So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Download One Bad Mother on MaximumFun.org, and yes, there will be swears. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive question mark Uh aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it (laughs) period okay so this doctor told parents they can't let their kids have anything fun yes and you notice another effect so after cutting out all of these different substances He also began to get these anecdotal reports from parents that the kids' behavior had improved, Mm. that the kids were, were like, following rules better, were easier to, you know, instruct in school, were easier to get to bed at night. Just generally, like, our kids have been behaving better since we took everything fun out of their diet, since we took all the colors and flavors out of their diet. That's not, that's a bad thing to say. You know me. I love, no, well, I love fruits and vegetables. I'm all about eating fruits and vegetables all the time. So I'm not saying all the color and fun, but for a kid. Yeah, fruit by the foot. Gosh, (laughs) I mean, you're losing all of it. I mean, it was, and I'm not saying that these foods 
and we'll get into that. Like, do they naturally have some sort of did benefit you, above other things? No. Did you see, but did you see tricks when they had natural colors? It was so sad. It was, it was. It was so sad. Muted. It looked I would like, say muted. Yeah, it was, it was really, really depressing. So he began to theorize that there is something in all these substances that he had parents eliminate, something in there is affecting behavior. There's so many confounders, though. Like, they're in, in this such a, you described what a wide swath of foods and drinks it is, right? Like, it seemed like there could be a lot of different factors. We're, we're going to get into it's bigger than you think. Ooh. So, with this discovery, the fine gold diet became incredibly fashionable. Now, when I was d- researching this show, I found mention of the fine gold diet. And I feel like there's going to be a generation of people, especially like I feel like if we mention this to our parents, mm-hmm. they would immediately know what we're talking about because this was an incredibly popular idea. Like when it captured the like the imagination of parents, they latched on to it very strongly um, because the idea that it was was that it was useful for all man all manner of behavioral mm-hmm. issues. You know, you didn't have to have a child who was actually diagnosed with ADHD. At the time, we, we honestly wouldn't have called it ADHD. Right. We would have just said something sort of general like your child is hyperactive, right? So it was good for anything like that. It, it was prescribed for dyslexia, for autism, um, all manner of behavioral issues. Whatever your kid was doing that was bothering you, the fine gold diet may be helpful. Um, and, you know, the idea is like, if you're cutting out things that your kid doesn't need anyway, I mean, when you focus on like the artificial dyes and flavors, mm-hmm. well, it kind of fits in with this idea. Like, is that what we should be doing anyway? Am I? I mean, you're it getting plays a, on parental guilt. Like, getting, am I a yeah. bad parent for giving my kid this stuff anyway? Because, like, let's be honest. The the thing that's unsaid is like a lot of it's playing into sugar, right? Yes. I mean, it's like a lot, or, or more specifically, like refined sugars, like that that you would to an extent, yeah. You know. Well, and also this general idea, I think like as a parent, I can tell you, I feel guilty when I am feeding my child something that I didn't prepare or you didn't prepare, like that wasn't cooked. Do I know it's not bad. In, into the lunchbox. <laughs> I feel guilty about that. And I know it's, I know that like a healthy diet can look a lot of different ways. I know that logically, but there's a lot of guilt on parents to not use prepackaged processed foods, but to only use, you know whole fruits and vegetables and things. And and that's like, I mean, fit that into modern parenting and our busy lifestyles and budgets. But the budget is the other part of this. Yeah. If you can afford that, um, that's a luxury. But, um, but it played on all those ideas. And so basically you cut out all the things we mentioned. So this already eliminates pretty much everything processed, prepackaged, especially back in the 70s. Imagine trying to shop this way before this sort of like whole foods revolution that would eventually happen. Mm-hmm. Now, add all the things that contain salicylates because the thing is, I said salicylic acid like aspirin and there's some other meds, but there are foods that naturally contain salicylates. I mean things that grow out of the earth and oh, really? have salicylic acid in them. So this is where the diet got really difficult. Let me give you a sampling of foods you couldn't eat strictly on the fine gold diet. Okay. Apples. Wow. Apricots. Mm-hmm. Berries. 
cherries, currants, grapes, nectarines, oranges, peaches, plums, prunes, raisins, tangerines, tomatoes, alfalfa sprouts, broccoli, chicory, cucumbers, eggplant, endives, okra, peppers, pickles, radishes, squash, sweet potatoes, spinach, watercress, zucchini, almonds, chestnuts, other nuts and seeds. (laughs) Uh, No cereals and less free of preservatives and coloring, which would probably have been tough at the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, no processed crackers, no allspice, anise seeds, cayenne, cinnamon, oh cloves, gosh. curry, cumin, dill, ginger, mustard, oregano, pimento, rosemary, tarragon, thyme, turmeric, coffee, tea, diet soda, fruit juice, jams, jellies, mint flavoring, chewing gum, and any foods with coloring and flavoring. That is miserable. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine. Imagine trying to feed a kid. You've eliminated the kids' cuisines. I don't even know if they had kids' cuisine in 1970. I know that in, in the 90s, I very much wanted a kids' cuisine yeah. or a Hot Pocket. Um, you're eliminating the Totinos, of course, but you're also eliminating all of this. Like apples. Apples. Do the fruits that have naturally occurring salicylic acid have a pain relief component, or is that not? What was eventually found, and like this diet has been edited a lot since then, many of these foods contain it in such incredibly small amounts that they could mm. not possibly bi- be bioactive. Okay. So, no, they wouldn't have a pain relief effect, but they also couldn't affect you adversely either. So, eventually, the diet would be modified to remove some of these things. Um, but this is the original sort of idea. These are salicylate-containing foods and then everything else. Um, initially, there would also be a conversation between Dr. Feingold and the, and the patient and uh, parents about the idea of gluten or milk protein needing to be eliminated. Now, he at least would say, I actually want you to have testing for allergies to these things before I eliminate them. Because you imagine if you also, in addition to all that, eliminate dairy and gluten. I mean, what is there there left? I think meat. Celery. Yeah, meat and celery. (laughs) Delicious. Yeah. Especially for a kid. Some water and bouillon. You got a stew going. And and then again, you you put all the other factors of like it's a kid and like they go to school and like people are working and you got to do this on a budget and so all these other things. Um, But he he did say like visit – like let's do an allergy test before we actually do that. Like you might not need to eliminate that. Um, What can you eat? Here I do have a list of some things that are acceptable, like bananas are still on there, watermelon, grapefruit, honeydew, kiwi, pears, pineapple. So there's still some fruits. You can still eat all manner of beans um, <laughs> and lentils, potatoes, except sweet potatoes are still there, corn. Like you said, celery, my favorite cauliflower is still on there. There is still some food, but I mean, it's a hard diet to yeah, stick to. It's, it's that an, sounds very restrictive. And you can't have stevia. So there's that. Um, in the first phase of the diet, you eliminate all this, everything. Wow. Okay. And the idea is that your symptoms will go away. So whether it's allergy or behavioral, it goes away because you've eliminated the trigger. In the second phase, you can pick one of those salicylate containing foods one at a time and try to add it back. Mm. So like the behaviors are better. I'll let you eat apples for a week and see how things go. Okay. If the behaviors do not return, you can keep eating that salicylate. If the behaviors return, you eliminate it again, start over, try something else. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Sounds a little subjective, but yes. Now, artificial colors, sweeteners, flavors, preservatives, that's gone forever. That stuff is gone your right. entire life. You never eat those things. Um, so Feingold started telling parents to try it. He presented and published his findings throughout the 70s. He felt it was very effective. Like I said, like over 50% of children responded positively. 
to his diet. Um, he said that if you're going to get good results from it, some things that are essential, one, you have to adhere to the diet perfectly. If okay. you if you fudge it once, it won't work. Um, two, the entire family must participate. Why? I don't want to do it. Just as my kids mean. <laughs> it's buy-in. The idea is that you can't have those foods in the house. So the whole family. But I want them, Sydney. Why are you doing this to me? But this is the way he said to do it. The whole family has to be in Why on it for it to, to be successful. Guy? Well, I'm not. But a lot of parents did. Sorry, I just got so worked up. Um, and I then just again, bought a huge package of fruit by the foot. So it's like, what am I going to do with these? And again, it's for life. All these things for life. Um, and you will find that a lot of parents did claim to notice, like, subjective anecdotal differences. Like, I, these are not things that were necessarily measured, but there were a lot of parents who provided testimonials that this was working. Yeah. That they noticed a difference for their kids. I mean, you have to um, tell yourself that if you're doing something so incredibly painful and difficult, right? Mm-hmm. However, this was evaluated by other scientists. I mean, this is a radical thing. If it worked, that's one thing. But if it doesn't work... You know, that's a lot to put parents yeah. through. So if you're, especially if you're a doctor, if I'm, I can tell you, if I'm going to tell a parent to put their family through this, I better know. For sure. That it, yeah, that it can work. Um, so a, uh, a two week long conference was arranged in January of 1975 in Glen Cove, Long Island. And the Nutrition Foundation attendees created what they called the National Advisory Committee and at it, they published a report saying that there are no controlled studies that have demonstrated that hyperkinesis, so hyperactivity, what we would probably what we would call now is ADHD. Term. Yeah. Well, hyperkinesis can it's not a diagnosis. Um, well, uh, it's like a symptom. Got it. Um, is related to the ingestion of food additives. So they they had no reason to think like, look, I know what you're seeing, but we don't have any evidence that that this is correlation. It's not causation. Um, in subsequent studies, because this has been studied multiple times, even when a difference is noted in behavior um, when food additives are eliminated, even when there is like a measurable difference in behavior, it's typically only the parents who notice it. Mm. They can't validate these same behavioral changes from like outside observers That's or teachers. Though, who's gonna, they're also the best judge, though. That's really tricky. But, it, but it's hard because teachers would not know a difference. But the parents swore there was a difference. Um, the results were often inconsistent, inconclusive. Some kids' behavior seemed to worsen. Other, I mean, probably because they were just mad. <laughs> They couldn't have their fruit by the foot. Um, other kids did seem to get better. The studies that showed more of a difference were ones that weren't properly blinded. Mm. So all of the adult observers knew that the diet. Yeah. Well, because if you really, if you are really concerned about your child's behavior and you know that they're on this new diet and you really want it to work, you're going to be more likely to think that it works. Of course, yeah. And that is, that is no shame on these parents. You know, it's, it's just the reality. Yes. Um, and at the time, again, we a lot of these kids were probably not being properly diagnosed with anything if they did have it. Like, mm-hmm. if they did have ADHD, there probably wasn't a doctor diagnosing them with that or trying to treat them for that. So parents probably felt pretty desperate, you know. Um, the ones that were properly blinded were pretty inconsistent. Uh, there, was one sam- there was one example. If you ever hear this as, like, somebody trying to argue this is real, they're probably going to cite this study. It's a 2007 British study which was called the Southampton study. Um, And in it, three to eight-year-olds were given two kinds of drinks that contained a mix of dyes. Afterwards, parents reported um, increased hyperactivity in the kids that got the dyes. Um, But teachers and, again, anybody else couldn't tell a difference. 
Um, and because the dyes were mixed together, it was really hard to tell what was the problem. Um, but there was a difference shown in the study. And there was also some sort of age-related difference. So part of the argument from proponents of this idea is that it's just that we're testing the wrong ages for this. Like you're only sensitive to it at a certain age. Mm. And so we're missing that age. Okay. Like we need to test younger kids. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, a meta-analysis of all these studies that was published in 2004 was pretty inconclusive. It basically said, in kids who have already been diagnosed with ADHD, they may be more sensitive mm -hmm. to food dyes. Okay. We don't know. More study is indicated. But that was the best that they could say. Kind so of, in kids yeah. who have already been diagnosed, maybe they're a little more sensitive to these substances for some reason. Um, so where does that leave us now? I don't know. Obviously, all of these things are still in our food in the U.S. and many other countries. There are some countries where specific things have been removed or like warnings put on packages and things like that, mm -hmm. mainly out of concern, but not so much out of, like I said, an overabundance of evidence that there's any harm. Yeah. Um, they're widely accepted as safe. They're unlikely to change behavior. Um, but there are still many parents who will say, oh, my kid wouldn't go to bed tonight because I gave him a red ring pop, you know? Yeah. Um, we were we were two of those parents for yeah, a while. Yeah, don't give Charlie red stuff. It makes her wild. And, and the other thing that's hard about it is that when you're just talking about food dyes, which I think is the part that got, has, 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 like, sustained the longest, mm -hmm. right? Like, I never heard eliminate apples because they have salicylates. But I did hear to eliminate food dyes. For sure, yeah. And I think the reason that that continues to get so much play is – it's not like our kids need food dyes. <laughs> we don't need food. Nobody needs artificial colors in their food. So it seems like low-hanging fruit, right? Like, well, why don't we just remove them? We don't need them. It's also, it also, I think, appeals to the naturalistic fallacy where I think in everybody's mind, or at least most thinking people, there's like every once in a while you get this pang of like, I should just be eating carrots. Like, I should just be eating carrots that I grew myself and strawberries and hunt squirrels or something. I don't know. Like a, a pure, like there's so much in the food mm -hmm. that there's a part of you that feels like this can't be right. There's, you know what I mean? Like whenever you see the commercials for like, look at this ingredient list, it's like, that doesn't really, I mean, well, who knows that? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I mean, to some extent, like the, that fear is not completely unfounded because as we've talked about on the show before, there was a long time where we put, I mean, lots of whack stuff in food, right? Like, your food wasn't safe. The yeah. stuff that they were putting in your food wasn't – you couldn't be sure that it was okay for your body. In fact, sometimes it very much wasn't. Yeah. Um, that was prior to the FDA and, you know, all of the all of the regulation that has come into play since then. Mm -hmm. But I think there's still this concern, like, mm, we know – we know that if there's enough money in something, it gets hard to stop it, even yeah. if it's proven dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, I think it's always fair to question um, and then look to the science to see what the answer is. Um, right now, we don't have science that says these things are linked to behavior, really, um, at least nothing solid. Um, I think the most important thing is if you have concerns about your kid's behavior – if you're worried that they're not able to pay attention in school, that they're not able to, like, stay in their seat, whatever, you should take them to their doctor, discuss these concerns, and make sure they're properly diagnosed. Yeah. Because the big problem with a lot of this is probably these kids really did need help and maybe medication, 
for some underlying condition that wasn't being diagnosed. But then you find the the artificial dyes and it's like, well, that's the silver bullet. That's the thing that I need to fix this. And, and so I don't th- look for the deeper stuff. Exactly. Because I think there's a reluctance. Like, it, wouldn't it be easier if we could just take something out of the diet than take medicine? Yeah. Well, that might be nice, but sometimes we need medicine. And thank goodness we have medicines that are effective and safe. Yeah. Um, in those cases. So I, I, I would say if you want to eliminate, um, especially food dyes from your kid's diet, you're not going to harm them. If you can afford that and you have the the willingness and the time to do that, you're not going to harm them. But it may very well be pointless. It may very well be pointless. And if you're, <laughs> and again, if you are concerned about your child's behavior, please take them and get them properly diagnosed. Do not um, avoid appropriate medical care in pursuit of something like this. Yes. I think that's the biggest risk. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you have enjoyed yourself um, because we've certainly uh, had a good time being here with you. Our theme song is uh, performed by the taxpayers. We use it as our intro and outro, uh, and we very much appreciate them uh, letting us do that. If you head to McElroyMerch.com, we got a new uh, web store. There's a Sydney's classic bumper sticker, I'm Not Afraid of My Clown Husband. Sorry, not ashamed of my clown husband. She is also <laughs> I'm not, not afraid, afraid of you in either. any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's created by uh, Jacob Bailey, and uh, it's a bumper sticker, and it's very funny. And proceeds from that go to the Huntington Children's Museum, so that's cool. And uh, that, I would say, Sid is going to do it for us until next time. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.